from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this week I've got a very special guest. He's a regular on the program. He's a fellow 2018 Sports Business Classroom alum, and uh, he's also a great follow on Twitter. You can follow him at Blazers by Sager, and Sager is S-A-G-A-R. Sager Tricka, thanks so much for, for coming on. Thanks, Rod. Now, uh, if you couldn't tell from the, uh, the the Twitter name, he is a, a big-time Blazers fan, and so we're going to be talking Portland Trail Blazers. I've also been watching the, the vast majority of this season, and, and this has been a, a really interesting campaign thus far. The Blazers sitting at 6-4 and four overall. They are 4th in offensive rating and 25th in defensive rating, and they, uh, they just came off beating the Toronto Raptors in a clutch fashion, 112 to 111 on Monday night. And uh, Sager, first off, you know, through through 10 games of this 72-game campaign, sitting at two games over 500, an elite offense, a pretty poor defense. Is this kind of where you thought the Blazers would be at this stage? About, yeah. I think that given the wholesale changes made over the shortened offseason, um, and shortened training camp, obviously, that it would take time to mesh all the new pieces together. And it seems like that's the case, especially on defense. Like you said, it's still struggling. Um, I hopefully can get better over the course of the season as players get familiar with their roles and uh, a new scheme. But as of now, I'm okay with where they are right now. Yeah, there there was a lot of uh, a lot of turnover this off season. The the uh, the biggest acquisition, of course, the Blazers sending a couple of first round draft picks to acquire Robert Covington, and uh, he got off to a really slow start shooting the basketball. I believe he was he was three of sixteen in his first four games from three, uh, which is just nineteen percent. But uh, since the new year, he's actually been shooting at. Uh, Thirty-eight uh, percent from downtown, and that's uh, twelve of thirty-two over those six games. And you know, you can already see the kind of uh, again, even though the Blazers haven't been that great defensively, you can see all of these highlight plays that he makes as a help defender, coming over, blocking shots, reaching in on drives, and and getting strips. Uh, and and you know, Covington has been fantastic on this team. There, the Blazers are actually. 22 points better per 100 possessions with Covington on the floor. I did not realize that. I haven't actually looked at those numbers given it's so early in the season. I haven't looked at those closely yet. Um, Like you said, he started off really rough shooting the ball. Um, It's come along a bit since then. And I think that as he gets more comfortable in his role, uh, I think that that'll get better. Obviously, 
obviously is very different than what he did with Houston uh, at the end of last season and the playoffs playing the, the small ball five. Uh, I think that taking time to acclimate to that a bit should hopefully help. Yeah, and, and we might see some, uh, some of him playing the small ball five as uh, Yusuf Nurkic was uh, was hurt in that game against Toronto as a quad contusion. We'll talk about him a little later, but uh, you know we even saw at the end of that game the Blazers playing uh, you know basically five uh, five out sort of system with either Covington or Mello, whoever you would consider the center in those lineups. Uh, but uh, yeah, the the interesting thing for me and and why I was so excited about the Blazers offseason initially was the combination of defenders in Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. thinking that, you know, Covington with his great help defense uh, can can really succeed with that when Jones Jr. is also on the floor because he is this great athlete, this guy that can maybe handle one-on-one matchups. And so far, you know, that that duo when they're on the floor has has looked pretty good defensively. Yeah, it's been... They've added a lot more versatility, I think, compared to where they were last season, uh, following losing both uh, Mo Harkless and Alvaro Camino. Last season, they didn't have any sort of... Uh, any real wing defender at all, especially after Rodney Hood got hurt uh, with his torn Achilles. So to get two wings who are uh, lanky, long, and can defend those positions on the wing and on the perimeter... Uh, that while also defending some of the bigger guys as well, uh, I think has helped the defense quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting comparison, obviously you mentioned the Blazers, you know, went away from having defensive wings last year, but prior to that, it was the, the combination of Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless. And those guys just were never good enough offensively. And, the thought with with Covington and Jones Jr. was essentially that you know they could bring the defense that Harkless and Aminu did, uh, while also being a little bit better on the offensive end, and and we've seen that in in recent games again with Covington starting to knock down those threes, and then also with Jones Jr. Even though you know he has struggled to to space the floor, he's actually just seven of twenty four on the season so far from three, uh, shooting just thirty one percent in the corners even. But he has that athletic ability, that good timing on cuts to beat guys that are kind of ignoring him and, and, and catch lobs at the rim. Yeah, he's added a whole new dynamic to the offense that I don't think Portland has had in the Dame Lillard era uh, that I can recall, really, where he is a legitimate lob threat on the baseline. Um, that's a dynamic that we haven't seen in Portland in a long time. And to have that here this year has been a nice change. Yeah, you saw that uh, that lob threat was really effective in that Lakers game, that really nice win the Blazers had pretty early on in the season. Uh, just sneaking behind, it was actually LeBron that was covering him on numerous occasions, and, and obviously LeBron was ignoring him, and, and Jones Jr. was able to sneak behind him without James recognizing it, and, and they were able to convert. Uh, but then also, you know, you've seen the flip side of that. I noticed in that second uh, Warriors game, and, and obviously Draymond Green, one of the best help defenders, uh, most intelligent defenders the game has ever seen, but he did a much better job of being able to, to help off of Jones Jr. and still recognize that the, the lob threat is there and get his hands on a few. 
Yeah, and I think at some point you have to tip your cap to Draymond Green. He is obviously a Hall of Fame caliber player, um, or has a resume at least. I think he will be there. Um, like you said, one of the smartest players the league has ever seen. And he snuffed out those lobs uh, fairly easily, unfortunately. Um, I think that, I'm hoping at least, that I guess opponents who are not as smart as Draymond Green, that that kind of lob threat can be used uh, to, to a greater effect. Yeah, absolutely. the The other thing that I was it, I was pretty excited about with the the concept of Jones Jr. in this lineup is the Blazers really haven't had the pick and roll lob threat, and I I thought they could be pretty successful utilizing Jones Jr. as a screener, and you know maybe even space out. We saw Nurkic last year extend his range to three. Cantor obviously has has shown in the past that he can take threes, especially in the corners. Um, so with the Blazers having multiple bigs that could stretch the floor, I thought they they would utilize Jones Jr. more in that pick and roll and and really threaten the the rim with that vertical spacing. But we haven't seen much of that. We haven't. No, I thought that we would see something similar as well. I think what we've seen more often is continuing to use Nurkic or Cantor if he's on the floor. Uh, as a screener in those pick and rolls, uh, and using them as re- release valves, but then having Jones Jr. either on the wing, ready for an open three uh, that Nurkic can pass to, or in the dunker spot for an open dunk, in theory. And that has worked at times, but I don't think that it is... I think that it's worth considering trying Jones Jr. as a screener, just for the sake of variety and seeing what happens. Yeah, and, and again, maybe we'll see more of that with uh, the Blazers, especially if Nurkic misses tonight's game against the Kings. Maybe we'll see some of that uh, as uh, you know the, the Blazers go more with those five-out lineups. But certainly Jones Jr. Has, has made a big impact on the defensive end of the floor. Portland, 12 points better per 100 defensively with, with him out there, and uh, their defensive rating with, with him on the floor is at 102 which, you know, that's a number that I think is is right where Terry Stotts would, would want them to be with uh, with their best defensive units. For sure. And I think that well, there's been some backlash, I think, on social media at least, that Nurkish hasn't been what we saw prior to his injury uh, a couple of years ago now. Uh, and I think that there was a bit of a letdown in the bubble. I think people were concerned with his, his uh, lack of stamina in part. And offensively, he hasn't shown himself to be the same player. He hasn't been finishing well, um, has made some weird decisions. Defensively, like you said, he's doing what he needs to do. I think that, obviously, he's coming off a traumatic injury. and It takes players time to kind of shake off that rust a little bit. Uh, obviously, it did with Gordon Hayward uh, in his first year back uh, after his severe injury. I'm hoping that as the season progresses... Nurkic will get back to that peak form, both offensively and defensively, so that he can be that top 25, top 35 player that he was earlier. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that the, the Blazers' best chance of, of competing this season involves, yes, Nurkic regaining that form that we saw in the bubble and or in, in 18-19. And, and yeah, we, we've seen his stats across the board, as you mentioned, drop a little bit. And also just, you know, his, his playing time. He, he was playing over 31 minutes per game in the bubble. And, uh, you know, he, he was obviously uh, out pretty early in that game the other night against Toronto. But even prior to that, he was only averaging around 24 minutes a night. 
So that just gives you a sense that maybe this guy isn't quite in peak condition yet, and, and he's even admitted to, uh, to to not quite being there and, and kind of uh, you know doing what uh, Shaquille O'Neal did back in the day and sort of working himself back into game shape. Yeah, he, uh, he came to training camp kind of late. He was overseas in Bosnia with family, sorting out some, uh, some troubles following the passing of his grandmother earlier this summer. Uh, so he admitted that he has come into uh, into training camp and into uh, into the season a bit out of shape compared to where he normally is. And like you said, I think that there's that factor of trying to work back into it as the season goes along. Uh, and I think also part of it is that he's coming off the severe injury and in a game with uh, in a season with as many games as the season will have and a time as compact as this will be uh, with like a much more compact schedule. That there is some uh, hope that the team can almost. Uh, maintain his workload a bit so that it's not so bad later in the season when they really need him. Yeah, and that has led to to Stotts playing Enos Cantor a lot more. And, uh, you know, that's been, to me, one of the big issues with uh, with with the, the Blazers ranking 25th in the league defensively is when you're playing Cantor as many minutes. You know, he, he should be more in the, you would hope, more in the you know 14 to 16 minute range with with Nurkic more in the 31 to 34 range but uh, instead Cantor's closer to playing half the game and uh, you know he despite being a very very good offensive center uh, you're just not going to be that strong defensively with him uh, with him playing significant minutes especially when you don't put great defenders around him and that's been that's been one of the issues I've had with Stotts this season is you know he's played a lot of lineups with with Cantor and Mello together. That uh, th- yeah. those two have been very flammable, and you know um, guys like uh, Covington, Jones Jr. and and Trent Jr. They're three best wing defenders. Typically, you only see one or two of them on the floor at the same time. I you know I, I would like to see all three of them get get a chance to play together, and, and we haven't seen much of that. I think the lineup of something like. Uh... Like a Lillard, Trent, Jones, Covington, Nurkish, or Cantor at the five. That kind of lineup, I think, could be really interesting. Because it has the offensive firepower, obviously, with Lillard, Trent's shooting, and then Cantor's a very skilled offensive big man, obviously. Um, that could be really fun to watch. They haven't done it yet. I think Stoff is probably still kind of tinkering around with the lineup a little bit, um, as he was earlier this season, um, just because there are so many new pieces to integrate. That, I don't think that rotation is set yet. Uh, so I'm hoping we see something like that. Yeah, uh, and you're absolutely right that, that Stott should probably get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt just given that, that Nurkic isn't, uh, isn't uh, in form yet. And uh, yeah, he's, he's still probably experimenting a little bit. But uh, yeah, the, you know, just looking at some of the statistics, the, the Blazers are... Uh, with both uh, Mello and Cantor on the floor being outscored by 8.9 points per 100 possessions. And uh, specifically with Carmelo, they're 16.5 points worse per 100 with, with Anthony on the floor. And the team's effective field goal percentage drops 9.3%. You know, I was, I was really excited about the fact that they were going to bring Anthony off the bench. It seemingly um, was a sign that Stotts recognized that, yes, we've got, uh, you know, three wings in, in Jones Jr., Covington, and Trent Jr. that are all uh, that are all better than him. 
But, you know, so far, Anthony's actually played more minutes per game uh, at at 25.22. Gary Trent Jr. at just 24.3. He's also been closing a lot of games. And, uh, you know, the... The other issue is he's often playing when one of Lillard and McCullum are off the floor, and that leads to the Blazers doing a lot of the throw-it-to-Mello for mid-range isolations and treating him like he's 24-year-old Mello. Right. It's been very frustrating to watch, especially in those closing lineups where you see Mello in the lineup over a guy like Trent. That's been frustrating to watch, knowing that Trent is the better player. Um, and has, I think, more upside on the floor, defensively as well. Uh, I do think that there is there is some room for Melo to get his you know his few mid-range touches per game, his post-ups. I think that, to a degree, you have to placate him. I think that they've relied on it a bit too heavily thus far. Um, and obviously, you can see his, his shooting numbers are not what, what you want them to be. Um, and, and obviously, defensively, he's a sit. Yeah, um, and and those numbers I mentioned, the Blazers being 16.5 points worse per 100 with with Mello on the floor, it was actually worse until Monday night. He actually had a strong showing against Toronto, especially in the fourth quarter where he uh, he scored 13 on 4 of 5 from the field and and 3 of 3 from downtown. But uh, yeah, I I haven't been that impressed with him, right? they, uh, They seemingly are are having him be the number one option with the second unit, which is really, really frustrating and, and certainly uh, something that he is uh, not good enough to, uh, you know, to lead at this stage of his career. But, you know, we saw in the fourth quarter, you know, if, if he can mostly be off the ball, be a spot-up shooter, and just be content taking those shots, he can be effective. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's, if it's more his mentality or if it's Terry Stott's mentality, the team's mentality, but something has to change, and, and, and maybe it is just a matter of, um, you know, as the season progresses, they'll start to, to wean off of the uh, the reliance on, on Mello's isolation scoring. Yeah, like you said, a spot-up shooter, especially from three, he's been quite good, actually, it seems like. Uh, he hits his open threes. Uh, at a rate that I don't know what the numbers say, but it seems like it's pretty consistent. Uh, just watching the game, uh, and I think that I think that over time, as the season progresses, as I think Lillard in particular, he hasn't been as aggressive as normal. As he gets into, I guess, a better flow, uh, I think that that the reliance on Melo will decrease. Part of that is also uh, in those bench lineups with Melo; they've been letting. Rodney Hood work his way back into the lineup after his uh, Achilles injury. I'd like to see him get a bit more involved. Uh, and I'm hoping that as he gets back into game shape after that injury, uh, that happens. Yeah, just to put a number on what you were saying, uh, you thought Mello was shooting well from three. That is correct. He's at 42%, 16 of 38 on the season thus far. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Rodney Hood. You know, he's he hasn't played a lot, but he's gotten in there in a few games. He he actually missed a couple um, for, I, I believe, was it a foot injury? Uh, I don't remember what it was, but it was soreness on that same leg that he injured earlier. Yeah, but I guess uh, my question for you is, uh, again, in, in in a limited sample size, what, uh, what have you seen from Rodney Hood? It's kind of an up and down for him, I think. There have been moments where you can see his confidence increasing by the minute as he's on the floor. 
you can see him get more aggressive, take those isolation shots that that he can take. Uh, and there are times where he seems not like this drop before, where he doesn't seem to be making any impact at all. Uh, and I think that that'll probably come and go throughout the season, just based on both the kind of player he is and the injury he's coming back off of after so long. Uh, I'm hoping that we get more of that that aggressiveness, and I think that playing off ball with Willard and or McCollum will uh, will help him get that confidence shooting those open threes that that creates. Uh, but we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I um, I think he's another guy that yeah when he when he fully uh, gets his form back that uh, I, I think he should also surpass uh, Anthony in the rotation because again on offense he is he is not a guy that needs to really be placated with with touches he's he's comfortable off the ball being a spot up shooter but he is capable and, and probably more capable of running a pick and roll than uh, than Anthony is. And, you know, frankly, I think uh, pretty much everyone on the roster is, is a better defender than Carmelo at this point. Um, but, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, the, um, the guy we've got to talk about uh, that is having a terrific start to the season is C.J. McCollum. And uh, I've got a few stats that I wanted to bring up with C.J., but I guess I wanted to get your take first as to his play thus far do you feel like this is just some some hot shooting to start the season in a small sample, a ten game sample, or do you think this is something uh, you know something sustainable? I think it's a bit of a combination. Uh, I think historically throughout his career, since he came into the starting role, uh, I believe in 2015, 16, uh, he usually has uh, slower starts to his seasons. This season, that's obviously not been the case. He's playing very well. And I think uh, part of that is that more of his shots are coming from three than from the mid-range. Um, I'm just looking at it right now. From 2015 to 2016, uh, according to Basketball Reference, uh, about 33% of his shots were from three. This season so far, it's almost 53%. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really great, uh, great stat. That was one I, I had here as well. And, uh, yeah, he's, um, I got my uh, stats off of cleaning the glass, but, yeah, I have it around 51% from three, uh, 6% less of his attempts coming from the mid-range, actually 9% less coming at the rim, which normally that would be a big concern, but McCollum has never been that effective at the rim anyway. So, uh, you know, him him relying more on the three-point shot has been, has been a good thing for him, and he's always been this tough shot maker, right? But it's been more in the 15 to 20 foot range, and now he's essentially just extended it out to being a tough shot maker from three. For sure, he's that's where I think he made his money basically is working in that mid range, taking and making tough shots. Um, to see him push out that uh, shot variety to rely more on the three feels really nice. I think that he's shooting around 44 45 percent. From three, that seems a bit unsustainable. I yeah. can imagine that comes down. But uh, if he can be a 40% shooter from three on the volume he's taking them at, that is a significant change uh, for the better for this team. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's attempting 11 threes a, a night compared to 7.3 last season. Uh, and, and here's just a list of all the things that are career highs for him so far. Uh, 28.1 points per game, five assists, 1.6 steals. The the what you mentioned, the 45% from three, 
52% from the mid-range. His turnover rate as well is at 4.7% for a guy that is using as many possessions as he is, scoring as much as he is, playmaking to to uh, only to turn the ball over on less than 5% of your possessions is is truly impressive. I think this kind of this hot stretch seems to have started really with that Houston game uh, very early in the season. It was the team's second game of the season. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of feels like going up against James Harden in a uh, in what felt like a classic battle, like a don't trade me kind of kind of stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was he was great down the stretch in that game. He was also great down the stretch in the in the game against Toronto, including hitting that game winner. Uh, going between the legs and, and pulling up over Fred Van Fleet uh, to put the uh, the Blazers up one with less than 10 seconds left. Um, and he had the fun post-game interview. I don't know if you caught that where he, he mentioned that uh, that he's a killer and compared himself to a, to a shark. I did. Yeah, that's something he's been doing. I don't know when it started, but he's been calling himself a shark for a while. Now we know where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, really, really impressive start from McCollum, and and yeah, as you said, the the forty five percent from three, and even maybe the fifty two percent from mid range, you would expect those to come down a tad, but but even so, I think just the the three point attempt rate, the um, you know the improved playmaking, I think also you know just um, simplifying the game a little bit, you know coming off a screen at the top and. And if he's open from three, just taking it, I think that helps in terms of limiting those turnovers. For sure. And I think having having players like Robert Covington, who they haven't shot, he hasn't shot well from three this season, but teams have to respect his ability based on his career performance from three. That opens the floor a bit more for CJ, I think, to get to his spot and take the shots he wants. Yeah, and, uh, you know... Damian Lillard, of course. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's a ton to talk about. I think he's been he's been pretty much the the same player as we saw last season. He got off to the first couple of games. It was a bit of a rough start, but he's he's picked it up as of late. And uh, his usage rate a little bit down from last season, down two point two percent. But I think that's just a testament to Dame being willing to and 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 being that leader and recognizing, okay, I've got a teammate in CJ that is really going right now. I'm going to let him cook a little bit, and, and uh, you know, if I have to sacrifice a, a little, I'm, I'm willing to do it. For sure. And I think even in one of the post-game press conferences, I don't remember which game it was after, but he mentioned that with so many new faces in the locker room, he's been consciously less aggressive, being more willing to pass the ball to these teammates to try and feel out their play styles and what they like, where they like the ball, just trying to get used to that and create familiarity. Yeah, I believe that was. Uh, I think if I if I recall, that was after the the, the Kings win. Um, but uh, yeah, that uh, that's a, that's a good sign for the Blazers, and it it just shows his uh, his leadership, his understanding, and uh, you know we saw it last year. If the team does need him to uh, you know to carry them, he he is capable of that. Um, but uh, yeah, the the. Um, you know, we, we brought up earlier that, that a guy in Trent Jr. has not been playing enough. He's been playing basically half the game. I would like to see him more in the 28 to 32 minute range, uh, even if that even if he's coming off the bench. That you know, bring him in and basically play him the rest of the half. I think he's he's that good of a player. 
Uh, but uh, you know he's he's continued to to shoot the ball well from from downtown. He's continued to be a, a decent uh, defensive cog as well. But uh, you know, looking at his on-off numbers, he's not. Uh, you know, the numbers don't look great for him. But I think it's in large part due to the fact that when he comes on the floor with those second units, he's in lineups with either Dame or CJ and and Mello and Cantor, and uh, you know those. Those lineups are just so flammable that uh, there's there's not much Trent Jr. can do. Yeah, like you said, he comes into the, onto the floor with, with Carmelo and sometimes with Cantor. And if, for example, Lillard's on the floor as well, that's three players who defensively are not above average, to say, to say the least. Um, and asking why like Trent, who is capable uh, to try and make up for those three, is, uh, is unfair to do to him. Yeah. Um... I, I hope that they uh, will figure out uh, a better way to, to stagger Covington and Jones Jr. And, and also, you know, because it, it, it would be nice if they just always had two of Jones Jr., Covington, and, and Trent Jr. on the floor. I think that's their, their best opportunity to have success defensively. And uh, obviously upping Nurkic's minutes once, he, once he's back healthy and, and in shape uh, will, will improve the defense as well. But um, you know, my my thought going into this season was that this team could potentially be a number one type offensive unit, and then on the defensive end could get close to league average. Do you think those are still you know milestones that are achievable for this group? I guess not for season long totals, but just at at at, at the the right time of the season, do you think they could get to that level? I think so. Yeah, I think over any like any five or ten game stretch uh, at any point in the season, that is a possibility if they kind of hit their groove. Uh, obviously, you said I think they were fourth in offensive rating, if you mentioned if I heard correctly. Yes. Uh, I think that can get to first fairly easily if Lillard decides he wants to take over. He can do that. Uh, defensively, I think there's more to be asked because this new scheme of asking guys like Nurkic and Cantor to play up to screens on pick and rolls uh, that hasn't gone well so far. Uh, and I think that I'm hoping that as the season goes on, Nurkic and Cantor and those big guys get more comfortable playing that way. I'm not sure it's going to happen, though. If it does, then I think that defensive, uh, that that ceiling for on defense could get closer to league average. If not, I think this kind of close to the bottom tier uh, is probably where they're going to stay. Yeah, I, I just I don't think Cantor can do the uh, you know aggressive defensive scheme. I just don't think he's physically capable of that. He's not mobile enough. Um, I, I do think Nurkic is. Uh, I, I think um, you know I would like to see them. Yeah, have potentially a uh, an aggressive defensive scheme with the starters, and then maybe go back to more of their drop coverage when when Cantor comes on. Uh, and and we saw that a little bit. I don't know if you felt this way. Um, you know, again, Nurkic got uh, got injured in that Raptors game, but the previous couple of games against uh, against Minnesota and against uh, Sacramento, he he looked like he was he was starting to uh, to get a little bit better. He had a couple of plays where he stepped up to the ball, and he's got really nice quick hands that he can he can sneak in there and sort of surprise the guard and get some strips. Um, and, uh, you know, offensively as well, the Lillard, uh, Nurkic pick and roll started to get going, albeit 
against uh, a guy like Jan- Jared Vanderbilt for the Timberwolves, uh, who, uh, a little side note, is one of the more intriguing players to watch because you know he makes all of these highlight plays. In that game, he had Vanderbilt had had a steal and a breakaway, and and the uh, he passed it to Beasley who blew the layup. Uh, he had a, an offensive rebound where he tipped it to himself, a la Dennis Rodman, but then blew the dunk. Uh, he uh, he he's a great athlete, and uh, I, I was listening to the uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves broadcast with with Jim Peterson, and, and he he brought up that uh, that Vanderbilt was a was a, a track star in high school, and and I can believe it. But it was one of those things where yeah, you 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 watch him play by play, and you're like, wow, he's he really impresses me from an athletic standpoint, but he's also killing this team. Yeah, he, when he's on the floor, things happen. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, what did you think? Did you did you get a sense that Nurkic was, was starting to look a little bit better in those last few games uh, prior to the injury, or was that more a, a matter of just weak competition facing the likes of Vanderbilt at center and then also in that Kings game, playing uh, Bagley at, at center, which, uh, um, spoiler alert for Kings fans, Bagley at center has not looked very good. I think it's a combination of both. I think that he's starting to get back into shape a little bit, prior to the injury at least. Um, obviously, he's, like you said, we've seen him capable of uh, having footwork that can play that aggressive style of defense. This season, it hasn't been there. He's been a bit slower. Um, I think it's starting to come back a little bit. But obviously, with matchups against Vanderbilt and Bagley, that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, um, they uh, the the Lillard Nurkic pick and roll really got going in that uh, they had a forty-seven point second quarter against the Timberwolves, and uh, you know you've seen these um, these different quarters where the team has exploded. They had a thirty-eight point first quarter against Sacramento, a thirty-nine point first quarter in their loss to uh, to Chicago. Uh, but uh, you know, certainly this team has shown flashes, and uh, I guess a, a guy um, before we wrap up here, a guy we haven't uh, talked about yet that has gotten some some minutes here or there is uh, is Anferny Simons. What has been your uh, your takeaway of, of his game? Do you feel like he's he's taken a, a little leap this season? I wouldn't call it a leap. <laughs> I think that there's been some improvement. Okay. Yeah, he looks better. He looks better than what he did uh, last season, especially. Uh, the shot seems to be... It's still a form that I'm not a fan of. Like, his shot form doesn't look pretty. But uh, I think he, he's... I'm not sure I can look at the numbers, but I think he's shooting it better. It seems like he's kind of added that same step back that uh, Lillard has patented at this point. He's hit a couple of those kind of shots. And I think he's become a smarter player. I think he's moving the ball better. Uh, defensively, he's still not... He's not a, a positive on that end. I'm not sure he ever will be, but uh, but it's it's easier to watch at this point. Yeah, um, I, I I right like I haven't actually looked at the statistics for him, but he just you know watching him last year, he just looked like a guy that was out of place. He didn't really uh, know what he he didn't feel uh, he didn't look comfortable on the floor. He seems like he. He feels just just the way he moves, the way he uh, puts himself into different positions, the way he handles the basketball. He just seems a little bit more of a confident player this year. Yeah. So 
Last season, he shot 33.2% from three on 7.4 attempts per 100 possessions. This season, he's at 38.5% from three on almost 15 attempts per 100 possessions. So, a lot of improvement there. Absolutely. In terms of turnovers and OIQ, uh, game IQ, he's averaging. He had two turnovers per 100 possessions last season. That's at 1.1 this season. Yeah, those are uh, some great stats there, uh, and and yeah, it just goes to show that uh, you know a lot of people were really concerned, and and I think both of us were as well that the Blazers didn't opt to get a uh, a veteran backup point guard in the off season. But uh, with these improvements, these that he's made, and especially given that they they have mostly been staggering Lillard and McCollum to to keep one of them on the floor. You know, if if Simon's uh, being being the Blazers' ninth or tenth guy, you know, I, I I think he's okay in that role. Yeah, I think that, like you said, he's looked better. He's looked more comfortable, like you said. Uh, and I think that as the season progresses, if he's your ninth or tenth guy, I think that can that can work. Uh, obviously, it'd be nice to have more insurance at that position uh, in the form of like a veteran guard. Uh, and I think not having that is a risk the team is taking in case someone. Absolutely. Uh, the, uh, the the last thing I, I wanted to bring up uh, is uh, the um, Terry Stotts challenges. Now, apparently, uh, he was he was relatively successful last season with his challenges. You know, kind of trusting his players at times. But uh, you know, watching this season, there's been a couple where uh, you just wonder what what's he thinking. There was one in the Bulls game where he challenged. What was a very obvious foul on Yusuf Nurkic, uh, or I guess I should say a foul by Yusuf Nurkic on Wendell Carter Jr. Um, and there was another one in that second Golden State Warriors game. Uh, I forget exactly what he challenged. I believe he challenged something in the first half that seemed rather obvious was, was going to fail. And then later in the game, uh, there was a play where Steph Curry got a three in the left corner, and, and Kelly Oubre committed an illegal screen that was uh, that went unnoticed, and it led to uh, Jones Jr. falling into Curry, and, and Curry got three free throws. And it's like, this is the perfect play to challenge if you still had your challenge, Terry Stotts. I remember that very well. I was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think last season, he did say that he was uh, talking to his players, and when they felt strongly about it, and he felt good enough about it that he would challenge. This season, I think, obviously it hasn't gone to plan. He's, as far as I can recall, he hasn't won a challenge yet uh, this season. I'm hoping that it's not just completely listening to his players, because players are obviously very emotionally driven. If they feel like they were uh, done wrongly by a referee, they're going to complain. Uh, and, and it hasn't worked so far this year, so we'll see. Yeah, I do think he. I do think there was one that he was successful on. I think in the Sacramento game, he had one where he challenged a a, a Yusuf Nurkic block that was called a foul initially, and it was overturned. Um, yes, yes, you're right. You're right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he. Uh, as far as I know, that's the only one I, I can remember him being successful on. So he he doesn't have a very good percentage this season. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how that uh, progresses as the year goes on. But uh, Sager, was there was there anything else you wanted to talk about as as far as the the Blazers are concerned before we wrap up? 
yeah, one more thing, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's not an encore thing, unfortunately, but Zach Collins is having another surgery. Yeah. On his ankle. Uh, it's, it's a bummer, obviously. You never want to see a guy hurt, especially after he looked so promising in that Denver series a couple years ago. Uh, to have a shoulder injury, basically have him miss the entirety of last season. And then an ankle injury, have him miss the playoffs last year in the bubble. This development, uh, it sucks for him. Uh, especially in line for a payday uh, this upcoming offseason. And it kind of puts the team in a tough spot because there is some level of depth at that position at the 4-5 with Cantor. And then Harry Giles hasn't played much, but he's in his minutes shown that he can do some things. Um, it kind of makes you wonder what Collins' future with the team looks like. Yeah, the, the Harry Giles acquisition, which was pretty late in the offseason, is uh, is going to end up being uh, pretty crucial, especially, again, if, if Nurkic misses tonight, uh, tonight's game against uh, against Sacramento or, you know, beyond that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a rough rough go for, for Collins, and as far as I know, they're already considering, you know, the, the, the idea that he might miss the, the remainder of this season. Yeah, when he had the surgery, they didn't put a timeline on it. Uh this was indefinite. He could miss the season, or he could be back. We have no idea at this point. Well, and, and you brought it up too that uh, yeah, he's going to be a you know coming off his rookie deal, he's going to be a uh, restricted free agent, and the the sides couldn't come to an agreement on an extension this past off season. Um, so yeah, you you've got to wonder, you know, especially given that he's. He's more a center. Uh, he can play a little bit of the four, but I don't think too many teams are excited about him as a four. Uh, and and given how many good centers there are in the league, you've got to question now if he is going to to get that sort of payday. And and maybe in the long run that could be beneficial to Portland. Maybe they could get him on some sort of a bargain deal because you you know he's just been this huge injury risk. Yeah, I think that I think in the past. Viewed him as a four more than a five, which I've disagreed with. I, th- I think you do as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that both teams are hoping uh, for this season to kind of be that prove it year. Uh, when either side wanted the extension, I think they wanted to see what this year would have in store for him. Uh, and to not be able to see that come to fruition uh, sucks for everybody. Yeah, the, the, the Blazers organization in general seems to think that the, the the Twin Towers sort of lineups, we saw it in the playoffs last year against the Lakers where they played uh, Nurkic and Whiteside together. For, for some reason, they think that's effective in 2020. I am uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum. As am I. <laughs> All right, Sager. Well, yeah, this was, uh, this was a real blast having you back on the pod. Thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some, some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television, so uh, 
If you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.